what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host. I'm the Small Business Center Director at Catawba Valley Community College in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is head of the business department at Catawba Valley Community College. How are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great, Jeff, and really looking forward to today's show and our guest. Thank you. Well, well, I'm going to introduce our guest in just one moment. What we're going to do on today's show, we're going to spend a little time talking about small business news and notes that have come across our respective desks. And then the main topic for our podcast today is going to be cost-effective marketing strategies for your small business because... Uh, when you're starting up, you got to get your name out there. you got to get your message out there. But unfortunately, a lot of the startups that we know and small businesses that we know don't have big budgets to do that. So they're always looking for cost-effective ways to get the message out, and we're going to be talking about that. And then we'll end our podcast with our favorite segment, the Small Business of the Month, uh, very popular with all of our listeners. So we look forward to covering that as well. That was a very good response to our small business highlights last week and uh, we'll be looking forward to the future and getting some more exciting and interesting businesses to talk about. Well, I've got I've got an interesting one today and I look forward to seeing what you guys have. But I would like to introduce our guest. Our guest is Cherie DeMeo, who is founder and chief marketeer of SLD Unlimited, a marketing and operations solution company in beautiful Denver, North Carolina. Cherie, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you, Jeff, and great to meet you, Gary. Cherie uh, has received numerous uh, awards and recognition and, and I've got a long sheet here and I'm not going to read them all, but she was... Uh, <laughs> named a Carolina's Mover and Shaker by Business Leader Magazine. She was uh, named among Charlotte's 50 Most Influential Women in Business uh, a couple years ago. She is also a published author with two business books, one called Me, Myself, and Inc., and her latest book is 50 Marketing Secrets of Growth Companies in Down Economic Times. She works with a lot of small businesses, startups, as well as medium and larger sized businesses as well, and and helping them uh, improve their productivity and move ahead. So uh, look forward to having you uh, share some some thoughts and ideas as we go forward today. Wonderful. I'm thrilled to be here. We like to start with talking about some of the things that have crossed our desks. And I saw, and I wanted to bring up an interesting article that I saw in Entrepreneur Magazine recently, which was a survey of over 7,000 small business owners on what are the friendliest states in the country for small business. And they they had a survey that over 7,000 people responded to. They were asked to rate their state for overall small business friendliness, ease of starting a small business, ease of hiring, regu- regulatory friendliness, uh, friendliness of employment, labor, and hiring regulations, and, and about a dozen different criteria. So they there were four states in the nation that got an A plus. So I'm going to ask you guys what what you think those four were. You know, what, what do you think? Who, who were the four friendliest states in the nation for small business? Well, I would look at ones that are, as you say, friendly from a tax standpoint and ease of getting started. I would probably think maybe Florida because I'm thinking of tax. Good guess, but Texas. Not, not, Texas was actually number five on the list. Well, you know, what's really interesting, this was years ago, so I don't know if they've kept up the good work, but I was always shocked, and this was maybe 10 years ago, that Nevada was a state that was stated as one. Now, are they on the top four this time around? Yeah, they're not in the top four. They're not in the top four. Of the top four, I can, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a hint. Actually, it might not be that helpful, but I'll give you a hint. Is Of the top four, I've only personally been in one of the top four. 
Wow, interesting. So you, are you talking like New Mexico or... Okay, I'm uh, going to give you another hint. Do either of you like skiing? It might so be heading Colorado. west. Colorado. Not Colorado. You're Vermont. getting warmer. Wyoming. Warmer. All right. The, yeah, this, this, we're, we're not getting there. Number four. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, we're trying hard. Give us the list. Number four. Are we in the top 20? <laughs> <laughs> number four was Idaho. Interesting. I never would have guessed. Some, some, good, have, yeah, some yeah. good skiing in Idaho. Number three was New Hampshire. You said Vermont. Vermont. I was you know, and, and actually, if you read the article in Entrepreneur Magazine about New Hampshire, they talk about the fact that it's a fairly conservative state. They don't actually... The government does not provide a lot of services, but they talk about how the Chamber of Commerce and a lot of service groups have popped up to, to assist them. That's interesting. Uh, number two, Alabama. So I've been to that state. Been to that state. Number one, Utah. Interesting. Who would have known? Yeah, those would be, those I would unusual. not think would of not any have. of those. So that's, that's fascinating. Would you hazard a guess what the five worst or unfriendliest states were? I would start with New York. Not in the top five. No. The, the four states, excuse me, three states received an F. They were Hawaii, Maine, and Rhode Island. Wow. I would not have picked yeah. those either. Yeah. I got, maybe Hawaii is just such a nice place to go. People feel like they don't have to uh, start business. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. worry about uh, business regulations. Well, I mean, I would think that maybe California wouldn't rate too high. They're in the top five on the, on the bottom end. Yeah. California, yeah, Illinois. Yeah, because it's just so expensive to, yeah, so to employ or anything there. Yeah. No matter what kind of business. Right, you're. right. So anyway, well, you can go to Entrepreneur Magazine, and actually the, the survey was uh, sponsored by the Kaufman Foundation for Entrepreneurship and done by a group called Thumbtack.com. So uh, if you if you want to go out there and search for it, you'll find it and get you can see where all the states were ranked and, and see where your state Very is. Very interesting. So, it really is. So, Gary, what's, uh, what's come across your well, desk? I was looking time? at a variety of different articles, some very recent and some uh, not in the last uh, few months, but one that came up that was really interesting to me is The Anatomy of an Entrepreneur by the Kaufman Foundation for Entrepreneurship. And it was 12 facts about entrepreneurs that might surprise us. And so I'll ask as a question some of the facts that they said. What's the median age for people starting a business, an entrepreneur? You know, I've actually read various studies, both on the female and male side, and it, it, it tends to be in the 40-something uh, is, what I'm, is what I've been reading. Is that, you know, mid to late 40s? Is what Jeff. I've been reading. It, you, know, you know, part of me thinks, oh, I'm thinking of these these 20 year old kids in garages, and then part of me is thinking about the the 40 or 50 year old person who might be starting a second career. The boomers are the fastest growing. Yeah, uh, so I, I would probably agree with Cherie and, and say average, yeah. and say it's more mid late 40s, early 50s. So what's the answer? What's the You're both right. We're both right. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, try to stump us again. Well, I think that's a good point because you think about the young folks. With the techs trying to do it, that's one of the other myths. Well, but one of the things that's been interesting is there was there there was a, um, a there's been a gap in 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 entrepreneur startups, and we're starting to see that younger crowd starting to start businesses again. But there was a period, and honestly, a lot of the boomer children were not the ones that were starting businesses because a lot of the boomer parents scared the living bejeebies out of them mm-hmm. about what it was like to run a business. Exactly. And so so with the uh, the thrusts of university Universities offering entrepreneurship programs and really creating this excitement and sexiness around entrepreneurship, you are now seeing 20-something-year-olds uh, excited and interested in so running businesses. Years, yeah, uh, so 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 down. that average I think is going to come down. But but there literally was a gap. Um, you, you just don't see. Uh, that's why you see a lot of great press on 30-something starting businesses because it's so rare. 
because they, like I said, they were just scared to death. They just saw, wow, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do it. It's a really good yeah, observation. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. No, very good. What percent of entrepreneurs come from the very, very wealthy or the very, very poor? Because, again, sometimes we think. Now, that's an interesting question. Um, I, gosh, I would say a higher percent come from the very, very poor. Um, and the, my only logic is just the, the, the pure tenacity of somebody. The need. And the need and the desire to, to be in a better place than maybe where they were. I mean, you hear so many stories of entrepreneurs that came from, it actually inspired an idea. Uh, and, 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 and a lot of times, the very wealthy, I, I sometimes question the entrepreneurship aspect. If they're literally just being handed a business, they're not, in my opinion, a lot of times entrepreneurial. Uh, they sorry, almost have, have more. Or the yeah, need. Right, right, right. They're just acquiring a family business or something like that. Uh, so now they certainly have the, the wherewithal and the funding ability. Uh, so I, I, well, I, it, it's kind of an interesting question. It really well, is. Well, and I, and I think, you know, when, when, when you... I don't know if wealthy is the right word, but uh, I, I think some families might hand down entrepreneurial traits mm-hmm. in that if you're raised in a family of entrepreneurs, which may be wealthy, might not be wealthy, but, but if, if you come from a family that's started businesses, you might be more likely to embrace that and, and start your own, or at least not be uh, prepared to work for the man. So what's the answer? Yeah, I'm the answer curious. is very low percentage from both the very wealthy and uh, the not so well. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the middle America. So between incomes. the two, who has the higher percentage, though? The uh, ones that aren't as well off. Yeah. Okay. For but then I was kind of right. <laughs> but Check but it Sheree. actually does. But <laughs> but it actually does make sense that it'd be more the mid. It'd be more the middle income and the more. It, it does. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. It does. What percentage of the folks that start business are married? And I'll go for it and stay married. <laughs> that's, well, that's a trick question. That's a trick question. That's a trick question. I would think that I would think the majority are married. Uh, you know, I'm. I, I don't. I don't even want to hazard a guess into the stay married piece of that. I don't but, have that. Stack okay. Right, well, right. So I would. I would say the majority are probably more married and stable. But that's. I'm. I'm I don't know. What do you think? I'm, in, I'm inclined to think that the majority, and it might be a slight majority, but I think it, that the majority would be married. Yeah. It's close to 70% are married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to go into how many stay married? No. Okay. That's probably That'll wise. be for a later show. Another wise, show. Wise on your part. <laughs> Majority of entrepreneurs in the sample were serial entrepreneurs. And when I say serial, what does that mean? Oh, serial, that means they have successfully build one business, they sell it, whatever, they go on to another business. Right. What do you think defines a serial entrepreneur number of business being started what percentage would be started by serial entrepreneurs no how many businesses defined as a serial how many businesses does a serial entrepreneur start and then he gets his uh, credentials as a serial serial entrepreneur it'd have to be at least three or more in my opinion yeah i I might say four or five Mm -hmm. i don't know what's Mm -hmm. what's what's the criteria they said about two to three Mm -hmm. two to three okay so i guess it's just not the one time right say well it didn't work out Right, it'd have to be, an, yeah. You're a serial entrepreneur. I don't know about that. <laughs> I stopped before I said the uh, last I work, part. I, I work with a lot of serial entrepreneurs, but I've, you know, my company's been around for 29 years now. I started it right out of college and been going strong, so. Well, yeah. you know, and, and as far as being a serial entrepreneur, I mean, uh, I suspect you get pleasure out of wor- working with many different oh, companies, goodness, you know, yeah. as opposed to starting yeah. many companies. You probably played a role in starting many different it's, companies. Exactly. That's, so that's the excitement that I have. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, our, our 
major, our main topic that we want to get into today is uh, talking about marketing strategies for small business and startup companies. And we want to really focus on inexpensive, economical ways for companies to market themselves because most small businesses, most startups don't have big budgets. They don't have a lot of resources, yet they still have the uh, challenge of getting their name out there and, and helping their customers find them. And uh, Cherie, you've done a lot of work in this area. You've, you've come up with something that you call the CRISP principle. Yes, yes. Why don't you tell us about the CRISP principle and how small businesses can use that to get their message out? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, 50 Marketing Secrets, that really was the impetus behind, the CRISP principle was actually the impetus behind that book, combined with research that we actually did to validate that the CRISP principle really was critical for growth companies and helping companies grow. And what again, what makes it so exciting is so many aspects of the CRISP principle are, and, and my industry hates, the marketing industry hates the fact that I believe there's so many things the business can do on their own and should operationally make marketing a part of their their practice. And so the CRISP principle is C-R-I-S-P, and the C stands for customer relations, the R stands for referral relations, the I stands for the internet presence, the S stands for strategic involvements, and the P stands for public relations. So you know, out of those five things, it's really interesting because when I started to present this concept, uh, I had somebody tell me, wow, you know, what you have there is nothing really new, but it's original. And then he stopped himself and he said, wait, I just think I insulted you. <laughs> and, and I said, no, actually, you are absolutely right. Because I haven't, those five things aren't anything that's, that anyone hasn't heard before. You, you didn't invent any of those I five things? I didn't okay. invent any of those five things, but I just put kind of a formula to it. And identify those as the and, keys as, to be as successful. Absolutely, no matter what kind of business. And I'll tell you, I, I credit the small business centers because I've been teaching. I've been an instructor at countless small business centers across the state and up in, and up in the north as well. And it really inspired this whole Chris principle. It really did because I kept hearing over and over again after a class, students would come up, you know, business owners mm-hmm. would come up, and they would say, if there's nothing else we do, what is it should we do? And, and that really is what made me study this. And I started to not just look at my own clients over all these years, but I also looked at companies that I just really admired, and they just seemed to really have their act together. Mm-hmm. And that is where the CRISP principle became what it is. Then uh, it was like 99, 2000, I decided, okay, well, the CRISP principle sounds fine, but that just sounds like my little cute fatty kind of approach you know is it really is it really something that works so then i spent about 18 months developing a survey and so by the time the survey was ready to truly go out there into the market it was it was um it was around 2002 by that time right after 9-11 right after the, the the tragedy that happened there so we all know how the economy just took a tank especially in some industries so so over that two-year period i uh, sent the survey survey out and amazingly it was like six pages long it had it was two-sided eight and a half by 14 that oh my gosh I wanted business owners to complete and everyone thought that there's no way they're going to take the time to do it and I actually was concerned myself but then got a 27 percent response that's I mean, fantastic. just an amazing response. Surveys and, in themselves take. Oh, 2%, you're lucky. Exactly. 2 to 5%. But all I did was promise the results to these people. So then I already knew I was on to something because the one thing I always knew was business owners are just, are just hungry 
for knowing what to do right and how to do things. What was the demographic or the target market? The, the that target you had market I, I focused on uh, companies basically 100 employees and less is basically just put it out there. And it pretty much was in the Carolinas, so it was a, re- a very regional survey. That was going to be the next question. Was a very regional survey. But um, the results made it very easy for me to create a control group of companies that over a three- to five-year period grew 50% or more. And this was down during that down economic time. And I specifically pulled and looked at, because I, I identified industries, and looked at those industries that everyone thought was not being, uh, that everybody, you know, you think of the construction, you think of the travel industry, you think of all the industries that were affected after 9-11. And so then you fast forward to this great recession that we had, and everything that was proven in that research around the CRISP principle was proven proven again, and I looked at the Inc. 500 companies that uh, were featured, and I specifically looked at companies in IT, companies in uh, training and development, companies in you know manufacturing or in construction that were having triple-digit growth in spite of, and, and they were doing a majority of the 50 secrets, and the 50 secrets are based on the CRISP principle. So, 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 so digging into the CRISP yeah. principles in terms of, uh, you know, I'm a small business person, or I'm just, I'm just starting up, you know, and, and CRISP sounds nice, but help, oh. me, help me understand how sure. to make it practical for me as a small business owner. What should I be out there doing, and, and how does that relate back to your CRISP, CRISP principle? What are, the, what are the three things I should go out and do today? Okay, well, the, I, I will say that the, the two things that the business owners misunderstand completely and, and are totally within their control to build strong business opportunities is uh, the one I want to talk about is the referral relations because a lot of businesses only think about referrals as it relates to their existing customer base. Now, let's look at a startup, for instance. Okay, a startup doesn't have customers yet, right? Right. Okay, so one of the things that, that we talk to them about is you have to look at your referral relationships and you have to look at your strategic involvements. And so let's talk about referral relationships. So referral relationships... This gets at understanding who you're really marketing to because they're not operating in a silo. They're, getting, they're doing business with other types of businesses. They're, doing, they're resourcing other types of professionals. So, so basically, you need to identify all of those types of entities that are also going after that same market. And then you build this incredible referral network with these entities. I mean, I'll use myself as a good example. When I relocated my company here to North Carolina, um, you know, one of the referral opportunities that I identified, believe it or not, was competition. And this is a word I like to use is coopetition. And if you understand who you truly are competing against then and who you really aren't competing against, then you can actually leverage competitors to refer business that's not right for them, and then you can refer business that's, that's, that's not right for you. Well, I think it's critical in any business to know who your competitors are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Direct or indirect. Absolutely. And so so with referral relationships and building that that kind of network of referrals and keeping each other in the loop, uh, I I love to give the example of the optometry uh, practice. These were two young uh, professionals competing, literally starting an optometry practice 10 years ago in the area, and they uh, were competing with 
companies that have been around for 30 years, you know, practices that have been around for 30 years, and everyone thought they were absolutely crazy. Well, they strategically got involved in, um, in uh, festivals, and uh, they, they got relationships with uh, dentists and all the other types of uh, healthcare professionals. And, and literally what was great is they originally had this goal of eight customer, uh, eight patients in a week, eight patients. They just wanted eight patients in a week. And I'm like, okay, we got to change that goal. <laughs> I said, because if you do the referral relations and if you do the strategic involvements, they were totally booked the first day they had totally booked. And, and it was because they, they engaged themselves in the marketplace and the community and proved that they really had something to bring to the table where they were creating this buzz and talk about, you know, an excitement about them opening up. And so you have existing businesses that have that are so reliant on that customer referral uh, that they don't realize there's a whole referral network out there that that they can have a return on referral is what I like to call it that is literally having business walk through their door all the time. I, I can recall from being in some of the seminars that you've done that mm-hmm. you you'll put some numbers up about. Uh, return on investments of cold calls. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to and, share and, those. And, I would and, love to share those. And I, you know, what, just just sort of run through. Oh, I'd be uh, happy to. The, uh, the success that you're more likely to get from a referral as opposed to just picking up uh, the phone book and start dialing. Exactly. I, what was also great about the research that we did is uh, companies, and I, I say this because this is very relevant to what I'm going to give these statistics to, is companies, even if they had a total commission sales force, they did not rely on cold calling or telemarketing as a primary as a matter of fact that was not an expectation of that sales force and that's very important because you're still seeing old school sales being taught get on the phone and make 100 calls and so 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 with so that was just fantastic to see i knew it but it was great to get it validated and so return on referral for a cold call is basically we've all heard the statistic you make you know you make 100 calls to get that one person that'll have a meeting with you not necessarily become a customer right okay a 1% return. Why would you spend that time, right? Okay, so then the next thing is what I call a lead, a lead referral. And and this is where you're, you know, you connect with somebody, they know what you do, and, and they say, hey, um, I heard that such and such could use your service, so uh, check them out, talk to them. And what that's what I call that, that's about a 5% chance of return mm-hmm. because if, 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 if you're just, it's, it's almost like a rumor, I like to say. It's yeah. kind of like a rumor. You but think it's a there's little a little bit, bit of interest. Yeah, but there's, but you know there's interest, but it's still kind of a rumor because now, so the next one, you get about a 15 or 20% chance of them turning into a customer if it's an identified referral. An identified referral is when that person says, hey, and use my mm-hmm. name. Use my name. You know, let them know that I sent you. That's right? the credibility. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of credibility. What's better is the next level, which can get you at about a 35, maybe even a 40% chance of return. And that is when it's it's not just an identified referral, but it is a connected referral. So, for instance, uh, there's an email, and, and literally it's like a copy everybody, and it's they're literally giving a testimonial. This is why you should connect with this. They're really Really good. Uh, they do good work, or they build a good product, or whatever it might be. And so, so they're literally test, you know, giving testimony on your behalf and connecting you to the point where, you know, I, I've just got to do it. Um, the next one is a wonderful strategy, and it's called the referral meeting. Now, this is why you have to have a referral network, and this is why you have to know your customers really intimately. And this is probably something you might be able to do once a month. 
but you connect with one of your referral partners who has a customer or a client that really needs your services, and you have a customer or client that could really use their services. And then you literally go out to breakfast, you go out to lunch, you go out to dinner, you go out to coffee or whatever, and very important. The two customers that you're connecting have some kind of connection or there's a reason you want to connect them because, oh, you guys should really know each other, okay? So you have this face-to-face meeting, and what's fabulous is you just sit back, introduce them, and then they just start talking about how wonderful each of you are to each other, okay? And, the, and, and, and it's perfect, but you, it, that takes a lot of coordination obviously it takes a lot of time but that that's a, to do that, that from everything that i've seen and, and getting feedback from from clients 75 percent chance they're going to become a customer well the point is yeah that takes a lot of time and effort but it's worth it but it's worth it as opposed to just doing cold calls well, where you might get one percent or two percent this is this goes response. to another percentage is we're all about getting referrals from customers but uh, four out of five high growth companies also tried to connect their customers either to each other or to other resources. So over 80% totally understood that. And that's a perfect example of connecting a customer to a customer as well as connecting a customer to another resource. Okay, so that's why it's so successful. Now you get at the 95% return on referral when you get multiple referrals. So the point, so the point happens is, and I, I just had this um, the other day where someone called our, our, our firm and, and they had been referred by so many different people that – it basically was was ours to lose because they, they were going to credibility and the confidence. Yeah, because it's like if, if we be. hear one more time that you're the people to go to, well, we know you ha- we have to go to you, and that's what you want, and that's what the Chris principle does. Because if you have good customer relations and you're really blowing it out of the water with your service and everything else, your re- your customers are going to refer you without you having any kind of a referral program. If you have to have a referral program for your customers, then you're probably not doing something right and serving them. So the referral relation program is all about everyone referring from you know everybody else so you've got all of these different factions talking about you're the place to go then the internet of course you know google is referring you if you're doing your optimization right and and you've got your website the way it needs to be so so that's giving you referral opportunities strategic involvements are giving you opportunity and let, maybe i need to talk a little bit about the strategic involvements because this was something that was you was interesting around the study is Take a guess of, uh, let me tell you this statistic, that the high-growth companies, the business owner, let's just look at the business owner, not mm-hmm. their employees or their managers or anything. The business owners were typically involved, strategically involved, in two to three organizations. Okay, so and, and, you, and I know you. When you, you, when I, you say organizations, you mean community organizations? Oh, it could or, be it could or, be civic, it could be charitable, it could be trade, it could be community, it could be business. It's a myriad. So you know, there's a ton that you can choose from, right? But they focused individually on two to three. Okay, now I know you know the answer to this, so I'm going to have Gary uh, try to answer this. Um, how many organizations do you think that the uh, the Business owners that had negative or, or no growth. How many organizations do you think they were involved in? Less than 10. Okay. Well, you know, that's interesting you say that. Most people will say zero, okay? But what we found, and this is what surprised me, is that they were over-involved. They were involved in so many organizations that they were so literally diluting they were dilute. Impact. They were volunteering their profits away. Right. <laughs> they, they and what happened? And, and I was intrigued by that. And so I, I I took a step back, and I think that the reason that 
the research was skewed that way is because we were promising the results. Think about it. And they were they thought they were doing everything in their power to grow, and then they didn't grow. They had negative growth, and so they wanted to know, okay, what was I doing wrong? That's interesting. <laughs> and yeah, it was very very good information. It's great information. And so here is why they why the the business owners that were more focused with two to three, and then they'd have their employees involved in two, maybe one to two different organizations, and then other managers that were involved in one to two different organizations. So imagine the ripple effect when you have all these different people involved in different things. Well, the key thing is also to be in the right organization. And that's it. There's, there's really, there really is strategy because there's actually four levels of involvement. Okay, You can be a member. Okay, and a member, you pay your dues or you decide you want to be a part of that group or whatever, and that's about all you do. You can be a participant, which means you show up to events or whatever, but then that's all you do. Um, the, what most business owners are, are they're involved. Okay, they become a member, they start participating, and then somebody on the board says, hey, will you, will you help us over here? Will you help us over there? And without blinking an eye, they say yes, and they haven't strategically thought about, does that make sense for my company as well as for them? Now, the strategic business owner understands that before they even get involved, become a member or participate, they already have a strategy around why they're involved what's in that, that organization and what's it going to bring to the company, but also what can I bring to that organization? It has to be a mutually beneficial well, that's situation. that's a good point because you yeah. may be part of it, but if you're not contributing. Right. Because if you just go in there, because be a lot a of business owners, you know, they, they focus on participating and they just don't get enough leads and then they throw the, throw, they just say, this, this, this wasn't worth my time. Well, that's because they were just a participant. They weren't strategically involved. Now, strategically involved is you look at that organization, you look at what your strategy is for your company, you look at what that organization's needs are along with what you need to get out of the organization, and you marry the two together to 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 impress people in the organization because you're making a difference for them while you're also showing your stuff. Yep. And, um, it's really a two-way street. Oh, it, 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 that's really, you know, that kind of give versus take is, is really, really important. And how you choose the organizations, there's really only three reasons you would choose an organization. One is for operational support or resources, and that's where a trade organization, that's where maybe a chamber can come in and those types of things. Um, you know, for, for instance, with a technology company, user groups, that type of stuff. Uh, then you're going to look at organizations that are really going to put you in direct contact with who you're ultimately trying to reach in your target market. Or you can also look at organizations that are going to be a high-quality referral source for you. And so if you look at those three and then you determine how you're going to be strategically involved, uh, you're going you're, you're, you're to be amazed at the opportunities that you'll get and, and, and literally get referrals from mere acquaintances because they see you, you – they don't really know you, but they're impressed by you. It really works. So, so as far as the Chris principle goes, we've talked about the importance of customer relations. You've talked about referrals. We've talked about strategic involvements. The, the I in Chris stands for the Internet. Mm-hmm. And I would think that uh, the way small businesses use the Internet is continually evolving and changing. Oh, it and, is. And you know, 10 years ago, it might have been just have a good website. But now social media has to play a big role in that as well. It does. But you know what's really interesting with social media is it really does depend on the business and what your strategy is. And there's, there's all this, this fervor that we have to be on Facebook, you have to be tweeting, you have to be doing this. But 
honestly, it depends on the business you're in there, who you're and, and who you're focusing on. Or. For some businesses, really LinkedIn is the best place, especially business to business, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are in a consumer driven business, then yes, Facebook could be val- quite valuable. Twitter could be twi- quite valuable. All of these, you know, YouTube, there's so many things that can be quite valuable, but you really have to think about, okay, who are you trying to reach and why are you trying to reach them before you can understand how is the best way to reach them? Because you can get so overwhelmed by the process that you're not spending your time as wisely and you're not getting the return on investment either. Because, you know, your time is as much as valuable as your money. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, and, and, these, the, and these strategies that we're talking about don't cost you a lot of out-of-pocket money, right. but they do. Call, you, you have to prioritize your time and figure out where you're going to get the biggest bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. It could dilute you if you have you right, know, right. trying to go to a market. You think, well, I'm going to have social media is going to work for them when it really isn't. Oh, exactly, exactly. You, you need to, and that's where you really have to get into the heads and understand your market. You know, I like to say you want to understand your 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 target market like the FBI understands a serial killer. Yeah. I mean, you literally want to profile them to that level and understand how they think, how they live, how they work, because that's where some of the most creative and uh, unique opportunities to differentiate yourself and reach your market that nobody is even thinking about. Well, I think of that's so happen. important just in general on mapping out your marketing strategies mm-hmm. that they know who their target market is. It's Usually we don't have a product that's for everybody. It's for a specific group. Well, and, 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 we and, and this there. gets at uh, one of the – I think it's uh, secret number 13 is the um, mastering mindshare. And it's where most businesses make the mistake is they look at their target market demographically and they look at their tar- target market geographically, but they do not understand their market psychographically. And honestly, the psychographic aspect is really how you should segment and understand your market. Explain what. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, It's how they think, how they live, how they work, that type of thing. So let me give, I love giving this example because this really brings it home. One of the questions that I ask a lot of companies is okay, what is the money mentality? Now, in this particular example, we literally segmented the market based on the money mentality of the market. Now, that doesn't mean that's going to happen all the time, but you want their money. You're in a for profit business, so you better understand how they how they deal how they deal with money how they approach money how they value money and this was a a pilates studio actually and when i asked her this question she goes well i'm not a bank i'm not i'm not a financial services company i go well you want their money don't you (laughs) so you better understand why they would spend money with you and how they spend money elsewhere and how they live in relation right that specific other Pilates you're competing with, right. where they're going to put their money. Where are they going to put their money? And so as we dug deeper, we realized that we could actually uh, define her market based on old money, new money, and corporate money. And so when we looked at the demographic and the geographic, the demographic were about 80% of her Pilates uh, clientele were women, around 20 were men. Uh, The age ranges in all of these demographics, for the most part, range from 35 to like 70. But what was interesting is the old money clientele were mostly in the, she was in a very uh, traditional, historic city base, but there was a lot of newer newer uh, market areas that were coming into her. And so the, the ones that were right there living in that historic uh, area, they, they were the old money. 
And their lifestyle, the reason they were doing Pilates was because they wanted to live a long, vital life. They wanted to be able to go hiking with their grandchildren. They were involved in Habitat for Humanity. They were involved in the local college. They were involved in the, the community theater and that type of thing. So, so then when we looked at the new money market, they were from outer areas. They were from where the new developments and the country clubs were and all of that. And they were doing Pilates, quite frankly, because they wanted to look like they were on the red carpet going on a Hollywood production. That's why they were doing Pilates. Then you get the corporate money. That was the mixture of men and women. They were doing Pilates at 5 in the morning or at 8 at night before or after work, and they were doing it either if they were men so they wouldn't lose any more hair or if they were women so they wouldn't be pulling out their hair. It was a stress relief for them. Okay, so now, okay, how do you market to all three of those very differently, right? Absolutely. Well, what was really important about understanding that 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 particular uh, under psychographic of the clientele is right when I started working with her, she was about to sign a lease on a new property for a second location. And thank God she hadn't, because after we understood that psychographic, she totally changed where she located her business. And it, it didn't fit. Because it wouldn't have fit. And then she kept her old clientele, her old money clientele coming to her existing, her first facility, and all the new client, all the new money clientele uh, went to the second facility, and then there was a split on the corporate clientele depending on where they were in both of those facilities. And it was it was just a, a brilliant example of how the psychographic can even help you make much better strategic operational decisions, too. And gets so, back to you. You've got to understand yeah. who your customer is. Oh, you really do. Hi, I'm two-time Greater Hickory Kia Classic winner Jay Haas. Please join me in a fantastic field of Champions Tour players at Rock Barn Golf and Spa for the 11th annual Greater Hickory Kia Classic at Rock Barn, October 14th through the 20th. Weekly grounds badges are just $50. Individual tickets are $20 per day with proceeds going to charity. Get your tickets today at greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. The final point in your Chris principle is public relations, mm-hmm. and and uh, give us a few examples of how small businesses can benefit from good public relations, and what should they be doing? I mean, I still read newspapers. Are there mm-hmm. other people out there that do as you well? You know, it's really amazing, and I'll tell you where the real opportunities are for small businesses are in those smaller neighborhood publications, uh, the newspapers, and even like in this area, you've got the Char- the big Charlotte Observer, but then they have the Lake Norman neighbors, they have the South neighbors, they have this neighbor they have that neighbor and those people read those publications they Absolutely. read them paper and they read them on, oh they do people contact. are still reading the papers believe it or not and so actually after the the study that we did public relations was uh, referral relations was actually the second most misunderstood public relations was the most misunderstood by business owners and and public relations professionals didn't like me a lot after i came out and said you know public relations isn't rocket science you can do it yourself how dare i say such a thing I'm right sure they did appreciate that <laughs> yeah. i hear there's a contract out in your head but go yeah. ahead but but it was you know public relations isn't some big creative now you can get creative but news releases as i say and so actually one of my one of my my first public workshop offerings that i came out of the gate with in 2004 actually was uh, putting muscle in your marketing the pr factor and literally teaching business owners how to do their own pr and um, how to write news releases and things like that because news releases are really just the who what why where how and but they're not the they're not the the 
the win. And that's what's really interesting, too, is a lot of business uh, owners and even PR interns that I get from colleges today are being told to put the uh, date on the news release. Okay, And believe it or not, you still mail out news releases. You don't just email them because emails date them. And there's so much news that you can share, like a new product or you've you've just gotten a designation or you just expanded a service or whatever it might be. Unless you have a specific event or a specific date attached to whatever you're announcing, you don't need to put a date on that release because that's news five weeks from now, a month from now. And then you think about some of the publications, like uh, you look at uh, there's like the Greater Charlotte Biz or something like that, or there's a woman's publication that does news briefs or something like that. they, They operate two and three months out. So if you put a date on it, well, they're going to throw it in the trash. If there's not a date on it, then they're going to put it in that little what we call blurb section with the little notes about People your business. The business. And then the like news. three months three months later, you're still getting publicity on the release you sent. Very out. good point. Oh, yeah. So it's just, it's just some of the little tweaks that you can do. And it's always interesting working with the interns because they're like, well, that's not what I've been, I've been taught. And I go, well, now you're in the real world. Yeah, there's a difference between the textbook and the real world <laughs> yeah. sometimes. I, I love teaching these kids how to do it right. <laughs> well, you've given us a lot to, a lot of pointers and a lot to think about. And, and I know if someone wants to pick up your, your book, 50 Marketing Secrets of Growth Companies in Down Economic Times, I suspect they can go out and Google it and they'll find a way yeah, to get a hold Barnes of it. And Noble, yeah, Amazon, yeah, all and, of them. I and, think uh, Books a Million, yeah, you can find and, anywhere. And, and our shameless plug for the day is that, that you will be teaching a seminar at, at the Small Business Center here in Hickory, North Carolina, on September 12th. So if you're interested in that, you can go to sbc.cvcc.edu and find out more information about that. And we'd be happy for, for folks to join us and get uh, three hours of uh, marketing secrets from Shuri. Uh, I think that's fantastic because we could talk all afternoon. Uh, we, we could. But now let's talk about, uh, let's get to uh, one of our favorite topics, yeah. which is our uh, our small business of the month. And and uh, this is sort of where we just uh, mentioned a small business that we've run across in our uh, in our lives or in our readings or, or whatever that we just found interesting and unique. And, and we also uh, invite you to email us with your small business of the month selections at, at uh, eexchange at the mesh.tv. And if we choose your small business, you'll get an incredible prize package from the Entrepreneur Exchange with so many goodies that uh, I can't even go into it at this point in time. <laughs> uh, so uh, as far as our small businesses of the month, uh, Cherie, what uh, what small business yeah, do you want to talk about? I like – what I get really passionate about is when someone comes up with a business because they're in an industry that has been telling them for years they have to do it a certain way, and they finally say, you know, no. There has to be a different way to, to approach this. And uh, a business that's, that's fairly new startup, maybe a year or two uh, in, in the makings, if you go, it's called, to the number two, yourhealth.com. And you can also go to allfoodscanfit.com. And that is very important because this is a, a, a dietitian and a nutritionist that uh, specializes. What, she, what her site does, it's, a, it's an online, basically, consulting practice and, and store for healthy foods for people that have diabetes or people that have renal disease or autoimmune issues or fibromyalgia. It just goes on and on, cardiovascular issues. And one of her frustrations in, you know, 20-some, I think almost 30 years in the industry is when a dietitian or a nutritionist gets someone who's been diagnosed with one of these conditions, they are basically being told all the things they cannot do. 
all the things they cannot eat. And, and that always frustrated her. And so she decided that she was going to ask, okay, if let's pretend you don't have this disease. What, what is it that you absolutely love to eat, that you would still like to eat, if it was even remotely possible? And so then she went out and scoured the country for these uh, micro and uh, boutique manufacturers that were creating these sauces that are out of this world with absolutely no sodium or whatever it might be. And then as she continued to find these gems that were creating these great ways that someone could still have a steak if they wanted or still have mashed potatoes or whatever they wanted, uh, and then she, she realized that these, these, all these boutique manufacturers were too small for like an Earth Fair or a Whole Foods uh, distribution, nor did they want to get that big because they wanted to be able to maintain that quality control, just like you know a boutique winery, that type of concept. And so she thought, well, what if I made this available to other dietitians and their, their clientele so that so that really, you know, don't let your condition be a limitation. Let's just change a few things so you can still make all foods fit in your life. And it's just such a great, I, I just love seeing it. I've seen it so many times over the years where someone who was a practitioner, an expert in their field, said, you know what, I'm not going to buy that anymore. I believe that we can do it differently, and then they prove it. So it's a great business. And, and where can we find them again? It is to the number two, your health. Dot com, or you can do to allfoodscanfit.com, which is her blog. Okay. Great, great information and, and great products that you can purchase. I think that's a great lesson because a lot of people think when they're looking to start a business that it has to be the next great idea that mm-hmm. nobody's ever thought of. Mm-hmm. It may be a different way of mm-hmm. doing it that mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. fits what we're doing now that might not have fit in the past. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Gary, what is your small business this month? Well, as you remember... The business I highlighted in our last show had an unusual, catchy name, but more importantly, it was an excellent idea. It was Lolly Wally Doodle, a children's <laughs> clothing business which started in a garage in Lexington, North Carolina, and has dramatically grown over the last few years using Facebook as their marketing approach. Good example of picking mm-hmm. one way to go, and their market latched onto it, and it was very, very successful. Today, I have a couple businesses, but I'll start with this first one. It's called Dwala. How do you spell that? D-W-O-L-L-A, which comes from Dollar and Web. It's an e-commerce company that provides online payments uh, for people. It started in 2008 in Iowa. I had a friend that was telling me about it the other day, and I said, it fits for my part of the show where I like funny names uh. and great <laughs> concepts. <laughs> so Dwala transfers money directly from your bank to another bank account. It's another way of paying instead of credit cards. Mm-hmm. Very inexpensive. And it's, it's building, to, they've started with just a couple people a few years ago to now they're 25 or 30 people. Mm-hmm. And one of the unique, interesting tidbits about this company is Ashton Kutcher Investment Company. Uh, grade A Investments has invested in this mm-hmm. company. And not only has put money into it, but he helps them with a council and something I didn't know about Ashton. Oh, he's huge on entrepreneur startup uh, investment. Yeah, I didn't he's, realize he's an incredible that. angel investor. Yeah, he yeah. He's invested in over 40 startups. Oh, yeah, tech he's got startups. quite the portfolio. Yeah. So mm-hmm. really an interesting tidbit to me. Oh. And you can see him on the big screen right now uh, portraying Steve Jobs in the movie Jobs, which I've seen. And, and, and we'll he, talk about it in movie review a, that in the future. He does a very convincing Steve Jobs. He's, uh, he's, I he's look very forward good to it. it. I look forward to it. 
<laughs> so, uh, my small business uh, is, is something that uh, I, I saw in a column by Thomas Friedman, who's a columnist for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. I was reading uh, a couple months ago, and he had a column uh, about two fellows who were, uh, had a, were renting a home in San Francisco back in 2008. And as you can imagine, the rental prices in San Francisco are, are very expensive, and they were having a hard time making ends meet. One of them wasn't working at the time. And uh, they were both industrial designers, and there was an industrial design trade show going on, and all the hotel rooms were, were sold up. So they realized that they had a room that they could rent out to people because uh, there was demand there, but they didn't actually have any beds in the room, but they had air mattresses. So they actually uh, started their, their business called air, air Bed and Breakfast, where they rented out a room blew up air mattresses, invited people to come in and, and stay and charge them $80 a night and, and made uh, uh, enough to cover their rent. But this has gotten to be a very big business, and, and now as it actually started officially in 2008. It's called Airbnb the, uh, for bed and breakfast, but it's the letters BNB, Airbnb, and you can find them at airbnb.com. And they have now grown to a point where they've got over 300,000 listings of people willing to rent out rooms, sometimes homes, apartments, yeah. rooms in their homes. Yeah. Uh, it also is now people renting out their apartments. Uh, but there are all sorts of crazy and unique things people are renting out. Some, they've got some, some things on there where people are renting out tree houses. People are renting out castles. Uh, so it, it runs the <laughs> gamut. I went out to their website, which is www.airbnb.com. And they have listings in New York, Miami, Washington, Paris, Rome, all over the world. World, They've got over 300,000 listings in 33,000 different cities, uh, some very cool places. And, and it's something where if you've got a room to rent, you can make some money by renting your room. They take a commission off the, the sales. It's a very transparent site. It's sort of like eBay where right. people that use it uh, will put their feedback out there saying this was a great place to stay or not so great a place to stay. You know, and I went out to New York, and I've you know, been to New York. Uh, you can pay 200 300 $400 a night for hotel rooms. You can go out to this site, and you can find rooms anywhere from $100 a night, $80 a night, $200 a night, depending on what your preferences and where you want to stay. But just a very interesting approach of how someone got a little creative to start a business and, and also uh, sort of a win-win situation for folks that might have an extra room and want to make some money. Uh, so that's my business of the month, airbnb.com. Really interesting. And they're spurring other businesses mm-hmm. building yeah. off of that concept. Yeah. Yeah. So. So anyway, so appreciate uh, everyone's thoughts on small business. And as I said, if you've got one that you'd like to share with us, you can email that to us at eexchange at themesh.tv. And uh, if we choose it, uh, we'll, we'll uh, send you a little thank you and, and gift bag. And, and we appreciate uh, you guys sharing those with us. Gary, let's talk. What do we have uh, for the next podcast when we get together again? Who's going to join us? It's going to be Tough to top today's guest, but our our next show's guest will be Karen Michelle Murko, the Vice President of Marketing for the National Association for Community College Entrepreneurship, otherwise known as NACI. Karen Michelle will talk to us about their upcoming national convention, which will be in Charlotte, and the exciting activities they have planned for the event. And then she'll also be talking about the goals of NACI and how they're trying to build entrepreneurship in our communities. Oh, very good. Well, that should be a good show, and uh, we've enjoyed uh, having Sheree on today. We appreciate you uh, coming down uh, from beautiful Denver, North Carolina, Denver of the East. Yes. And uh, appreciate you. We've got a sign that says that. (laughs) 
And, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have you on again uh, sometime in the next few months. Because uh, if you've got 50 marketing secrets, I, fi- I suspect you have a few more up your sleeves Absolutely. you can share with our folks. Would love to. Thank so. you. All right. Well, that's, that's all for this episode, and we look forward to seeing you again next month. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.